Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Rogue Preparedness Podcast. My name is Morgan, and we have another fantastic guest for you. I told you guys at the beginning of this year when I'm doing these podcasts, you know, it gets really boring just talking to myself, and there's just so much knowledge that other people can bring to the table, so I'm really trying to up my guest game and trying to get as many people on here to share thoughts and ideas and and get you guys thinking about how, how a variety of people are prepping and how we can all prep in so many different ways. We've already had some just amazing guests, and we have another amazing guest today. Her name is author Melanie Kennedy. Thank you so much for being on the show, my friend. Thanks for having me on, Morgan. I appreciate it. Yes. I'm so excited. We did a um, we did a podcast that was just for the member area last year, but um, and it was really good, but this is going to be even better, I think. Yes, fun stuff. And we're kind of going a different direction today, too. So yeah. uh, last time we, what was it? Canned goods and food storage, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and this, what we want to talk about in this podcast, I think I want to, you know, I mean, really my goal for like 2023 and beyond is trying to get that self-sufficiency going as, as, as however that looks, you know, um, and that's going to look different for every single person, especially for those in urban areas, you know, and, and I think they struggle the most because, you know, they feel like there's just no you know, resources, or they can't really do that much, you know, like, I don't have, you know, 40 acres, I can't do this. But even with just small spaces, you can do a lot. Oh, absolutely. And mm -hmm. and that's one of the things that we run into. Um, I am actually we've just retired from active duty military. So as anybody familiar with that knows, we move a lot. And you never know what your climate's going to be like, what your housing situation will be like. And it's really easy to get overwhelmed, especially if you're just starting out on your preparedness journey. There's so many cool resources. So you can't get that information overwhelm mm -hmm. and don't know where to start, don't know what's applicable. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons that it's really fun to sit down and have these chats because we can bring in those things that, like you said, you don't need the 40 acres or 100 acres. You don't have to have cattle. You don't have to do what seems like the dream homestead, you can still start that self-reliance, that self-sufficiency with some bare bones basics. I mean, we wow. talk about sprouts a lot, just growing some sprouts, right? Yeah. yeah. And I was actually thinking about your, uh, your arrow garden that you have on your countertop, right? The arrow yes. Garden. Yeah. Yes. I think about that a lot because it's like, you know, it's so small and it's like, you know, when you first think about it, you're just like, man, so small, you know, what's that going to produce for me? That's producing a consistent supply of nutrients, whether that's, you know, it, it, so basically like the main things that that's going to produce is things like, you know, um, lettuce and, and little things like that, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we do a lot of greens. Um, I've actually, as a, as a practicing herbalist, I've actually grown some herbs in one of our arrow gardens. But what a lot of people don't know is you actually can grow some larger plants. My folks are retired. Um, they're in their 70s and they actually grow tomatoes and bell peppers in those arrow gardens. What? 
there's a bigger one that, yeah, you can actually plant some of those bigger plants and they have a uh, support frame that goes around it. Cause you know, tomatoes will go crazy if you let them. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it supports the, the branches as it grows up and she's seen some really cool crops come out of that. So yeah, fresh tomatoes in January. It's cool. <sighs> That's so cool. I'm honestly considering getting one and really, you know, like I said, you know, it looks so small. It's like, oh, what am I going to grow? out of that no you're not growing uh you know vegetables that are going to you know you're gonna can and get you through this the year right but no this is like an everyday eating like I'm gonna grab some tomatoes and lettuce for you know a salad that kind of thing like it's you know that's what it is and that's that's what its purpose and that's fantastic that's what we need you know absolutely and the really cool thing is um as somebody who has little ones at home like you can also use that i know you guys homeschool you can use that as science you know like they get to plant these seed pods there's some that come with seeds already in them and Hmm. folks also arrow garden is not the only company that does this so don't feel obligated like oh morgan and melanie said no there's other companies that do this and it's really cool um they get to plant the seed pods or if you have your own seeds they sell empty ones with just the little peep insert and they Hmm. can plant say swiss chard or spinach or whatever and they get to watch all the different stages of the plant growing they learn how to put the the fertilizer liquid in there and that's a ratio like if you put too much you're going to burn the plants Mm. or they need the food just like we do so if we don't give them enough etc etc it's a science lesson it's it's um it's really neat also because when you're working with hydroponics or aeroponics um they the plants grow really quickly So we will plant something and there's nothing there. And then I'll go out and I'll see, you know, just those wee little first leaves. And then a week later I walk out and I'm like, whoa, there's plants. (laughs) Because they'll just shoot up suddenly, kind of like a kid with a growth spurt, like boom, all of a sudden they've grown an inch. And it's so neat to see. And then, like you said, you know, you've a couple weeks in, you walk in and you go, oh, I want a salad for lunch. Or my husband will do that. He takes his lunch to work with him and he'll be like, Oh, I want a salad. So we'll trim back. And next thing you know, it's, it's cut and come again, lettuce, just like if you were growing it in your regular garden and there he goes, he has another salad a few days later. It's, it's really cool. And it's really handy. Um, and folks don't pay full price for them. Get on the mailing lists because these companies do sales. So I have never paid full price for one. (laughs) Oh, nice. That's good to know. Um, I, I just think it's, you know, these indoor systems are so great for that everyday eating, you know, and it gives you that consistent nutrient. So it's the microgreens, right? Mm-hmm. Super easy. Um, and then it's like the arrow garden type of system. And then it's uh, like those, um, the tower hydroponics or just high, or the tower ones like there I've seen a few so there's one that's just like a tower and you just have grow lights or whatever and then there's the tire the tower hydroponics where it's like the whole system and the pump and and um you know it's the tower and the grow lights and all these things and I think that's another really great setup as well if you have the space for that that also like the arrow garden and stuff like that it you know grows so fast and you can grow so much in it 
you know, like you were saying with the tomatoes and the peppers, you can do strawberries. And, and I've seen people grow just a wild amount of things in, in these indoor tower gardens or arrow gardens and, you know, either of these things. And these are great sources for that year round produce. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I, I don't think people need to discount the indoor. A lot of people do. When I did a video about an indoor gardening with grow lights, it was just like growing a few little things in pots and with grow lights. It wasn't hydroponics or anything like that. And um, people were just like, this is so unrealistic. You can't do this. You know, this won't sustain your family. I'm like, that's right. It won't. It's a supplement. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and, you know, and I think that also comes back to the overwhelm when we're starting out. Um, like anything is better than nothing, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you know, say that person, they get a little basic, say they can get into one of the smaller arrow garden type things that's on the countertop. Maybe they're in a studio apartment, a loft or something, and they basically just have enough room to put on the bathroom counter, maybe. Right. Um, but then they can also go and take an urban foraging class and mm -hmm. they can learn to start recognizing the quote weeds in their neighborhood and they can supplement that way. Or um, I know people from when we used to have fiber rabbits who would grow fodder. So you can grow mm. or people who have cats might want to grow some catnip or some wheatgrass. It's all supplemental and it's yeah. all something that's getting you growing. It's putting some nature in the house in your life that maybe you wouldn't necessarily have access to otherwise especially in these really urban areas right mm -hmm. it's all right. anything's better than nothing just yeah, start I, somewhere <laughs> yeah I'm a hundred percent on board and yeah you know like the dream is oh I'm gonna grow this huge garden to you know uh, then can and preserve all these different ways to get us through until the next year or whatever and that's that's great but there's all these other options too. Like there's no reason not to do whatever you can. Like if you can have that big garden, great in the spring. And then the rest of this year you can do, you know, all the indoor stuff and have that as supplements, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I mean, there's no reason. I think people just want to pick and choose between one thing and the other. You don't have, it's not one or the other. You can do it all, <laughs> you know? Um, so, so yeah, what, um, what are some other, like urban kind of backyard ideas that you can fit so much into tiny spaces. So like, how do you even start? Like, how, how would you go about planning something like that? Well, I think first of all, we need to look at a, our needs, you know, like obviously, like you said, and, and I'm sure we could go around and around on this. Like we don't have to make it of how do I feed my family, you know, completely off of this. Mm -hmm. If we're just looking at a supplement level and we're just going, I just want to be able to have some healthy food and not have to pay however much for sprouts for my salad every week, you know, say mm -hmm. I'm going to the health food store and I'm buying, I don't know, a half a pound, a, a container of sprouts each week you can do that in a mason jar mm -hmm. and you know with one pack of seeds you're looking at weeks worth of crops because we're yeah. only using say like when I do it I think I probably use maybe a tablespoon if that yeah. otherwise I've got 
to go up in jar size, right? Mm-hmm. So we can start right there. And again, it could literally be just on your desk. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't yeah. have to be something that takes up the entire living room. On the flip side, if somebody did have a home that's a little bit larger, maybe their budget offers a little bit more space. At one point, we actually had four of those arrow gardens. Um, Two of them, they base them off of the number of little pods that you can insert into it. And so we had two that hold six and we had two that hold nine. And Hmm. so you figure if you were to put in those bigger ones, a couple of tomato plants, and then in the smaller ones, you had, say, your lettuce and spinach going, you could also use what's called succession planting, where maybe you start one arrow garden and two weeks later you start the other, so that as the greens are kind of ending their life cycle in the first one the second one is peaking and then we Mm -hmm. clean it out and we restart that other one so like you said year round it may not be something where we would you know have the same kind of harvest where somebody would go and get however many bushels of tomatoes and put up their tomato sauce and their pizza sauce for a whole year supply. Right. 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 But what they are getting is consistently fresh produce for pennies on the dollar, because of course we do have to account for, we've got a little bit of electricity used, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's led lighting. So we actually, we figured it up. It's about a dollar or two a month for us to run these things. Okay. Um, and for for what you would pay, especially in our family, we really highly value organics and not using pesticides. So when we're doing this inside, right, we're dealing with fewer bugs, fewer insects. Mm. And we know that the fertilizer, we're not spraying anything, we're not inhaling anything, right? Right. And so what would you pay for that at the grocery store? I mean, I've seen those salad things going for anywhere between five and ten dollars for a container yeah so Mm. we're looking at a steady supply not a bulk supply Mm. and it's just right there on the countertop or on the desk if somebody had say a larger space um, one of the things that I've actually seen people do you mentioned the tower systems Mm -hmm. I've seen people make green walls with those oh yeah Yeah. As a yoga instructor, I think that would really be cool in places where you want that natural, that green space, but you're in an urban environment. So offices, Mm. think about what a corporate facility could do with some walls of those. And now your employees, your staff, whoever's coming through, they have access to this fresh produce and everybody's benefiting, right? It's a community effort. Yeah. So you could do the same thing on a smaller scale in your home. Do it in your dining room. And now you've got more of the lettuce, the spinach, whatever. Like you mentioned strawberries. Can you imagine having a tower of strawberries? So like we're talking about tomatoes in January. Here's your strawberries. It would be so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, our family eats so much, so much strawberries and I'm just like, we have got to have a strawberry supply, like consistent. And I just keep thinking about this arrow garden. And like, I know you guys were, we were 15 minutes in and all we're talking about arrow gardens, but seriously, like, <laughs> it's you know, really cool. like, 
<laughs> just like such an easy option, you know, and like a couple dollars a month in electricity, shoot. You know, like I think of it from an off grid standpoint. I think when you when we were first talking about it, I was like, hmm, I wonder if I got one, you know, like I was looking at the wattage and all this other stuff. And I was like, I just wonder, like, if I could sustain that on an off grid setup. And obviously it's totally wild. You know what what you might be able to do depends on your off grid system, your battery, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. But I think it's possible. You know, I was able to run grow lights, which are extremely efficient. Um, they take very little energy. They're very low wattage. And I was able to run grow lights on my off-grid system. So if I'm able to do that on an off-grid system, um, you know, you can do it on, on the on-grid system and then also have like that kind of backup. Like, okay, well, what if the lights go out? You know, how will my plants continue to survive and stuff like that? I just think like, <laughs> I just think like about all these like, uh, you know, the alternatives and things like that. Like how, how would I keep these alive in a, um, you know, lights out or something situation, but. Well, it, and that's a part efficient. of it. Mm-hmm. That's a part of that, that planning, you know, like yeah. you said, where do you start and what could you do? We do have to make those plans. Yeah. That's an important part of it because if somebody is looking at a system like this, um, then they know that it needs electric. Right. They have to have electricity. There's a water pump that functions in there to aerate the water that the plants are growing in. And then, of course, you need light for a certain number of hours. So that's really important to look at um, and to plan for. Like in our case, we are in the high desert of Arizona. So sunshine is not an issue most days. Mm -hmm, Yeah. (laughs) So I look at it and go, well, Worst case scenario, if we have a power outage, which we actually did a a couple of weeks ago during a storm, um, there's plenty of light coming in. I can read, I can cook, I can do whatever I need to do. So I can then take my little solar generator that we charge with solar panels Mm -hmm. and I could use it to run the arrow garden instead. There you go. So that might be different for somebody in say the high plains where wind is the thing and they would be like, Oh, maybe I'll get a little turbine and put it out on my balcony or maybe they're on a 13th floor balcony and they could do something that way. Hmm. It's going to be individual to each of us, but we do need to plan for that. Totally. Yeah. I've seen a lot of little um, DIY turbines that seem really like they're little, you know, little tiny ones, but you could just like clip that to your balcony, like you're just saying, you know, and like get a little bit of energy there, hook it up to a battery, you're all set to go. <laughs> like, totally, totally. Yeah. There's, there's, and also something folks should check into. A lot of people don't realize this, but if you go to, if you're in the United States, um, if you go to the Energy Star website, there's actually tax credits out there. For renewable energy products so solar photovoltaic and also wind energy um, I'm not going to quote any specific percentages because it may also be influenced on on what your system is and what state you're in mm. but budget is a big thing right and if we're looking at these backyard systems that could mean the difference between being able to get something or not. So I would strongly encourage people to check out websites like that. If you're in another country, obviously look up the energy department for whatever your country is 
and see if there are any kind of incentives. A lot of people are concerned about renewable energy right now, and there are options for that. And certain states, like my state of Arizona, um, used to offer some tax deductions and tax credits. They're still working on what that's going to be for the future. But in the past, they have offered those kind of things, too. So Yeah. Hey, that's an incentive. That's, you know, that's yeah. nice. <laughs> it can make a difference. Like my gas company actually offers a rebate on high efficiency washers. I'm like, Ooh, my washer is 10 years old. That's perfect. I'll take the, the rebate. You know, nice. if I have to replace it anyway, that's $50 or however much it is that can now be put toward something else in our preparedness efforts, in our self-reliance efforts. It's a seed order. It's yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's that foraging class who knows what you want it to be, but there are options. Yeah. I am all about the energy efficiency anyway, you know, just like everything that we look at because we lived off grid for so long, it's just like, it has to be energy efficient. I always, it's just like habit now to like, look at the wattage and like, if it's an insane amount of wattage, I just don't, I don't get it, you know? And because I, I'm thinking of a future aspect of like, okay, well, how can I power this? And could I power this with the resources that I already have, you know, like, um, you know, and if I happen to get more energy down the line or something like that, that's great. That's just more energy. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so um, I think looking into all of those energy efficient um, things now is a really good idea and, and the incentives absolutely help for sure. Well, and that's uh, the other thing when you're examining those things, like you're looking at how do I run this a off grid and then of course somebody like me homesteading in the burbs, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at how do I run it if the power goes out? I'm looking at yeah. just the comfort level thing. But right. the other thing that we can look at, especially for folks who are trying to figure out, okay, I want to get into preparedness, or I'm at this certain point and I want to bump up my preparedness level, right? A lot of times we can DIY things, we can come up with plans, or we can make it ourselves. Maybe we could barter or trade for it, but otherwise it's usually going to cost us something, right? When you are doing all of that planning and looking at those things where you're like, no, this uses too much energy, I'm not going to purchase it, or oh, this is efficient, so I will. For those of us that are on grid, we're saving money. And yeah. where does that go? If I'm not paying it to the electric company or the, the gas company, it's staying in my pocket and it can, again, go toward the seed order that I'm like drooling on the seed catalog, right? <laughs> or we could save up, you know, if we're spending $10 less because I'm like, oh, Morgan told me about this cool washer and it's so much more efficient and I'm saving 10, 20 bucks a month on my electric bill. Well, now at the end of the year, how much have I saved up that we could put into something bigger? Say right. I wanted that aero garden or that, you know, solar generator or whatever, what we aren't spending can be saved up and put toward those bigger purchases. Yeah, totally. It all adds up. Absolutely. Um, well, okay. So, so we're talking about energy and we're talking about, you know, um, the indoor gardening. Let's try to, if you hear any screaming in the background, that's just... <laughs> That's Archer having a 
she she was sick the past couple of days and she's Aww. just kind of still in a mood a little bit but uh she's she's much better but anyway um in case anybody's like why is there a screaming child in there don't worry her father's there it's all good it's okay all the listeners uh, will just scream with her we'll have it as a de-stress moment <laughs> right we could all use it after 2022 right yeah. <laughs> i'm sure yes um so listeners if you want to take this moment to scream feel free yeah. <laughs> um okay so anyway um <laughs> uh so talking about like um you know i i am in an urban setting right now and and you know we've been in urban settings before you know we were off grid for a couple of years and things like that and then you're in an urban urban you know setting and um i think i think when it comes to like our, our available space um, I think whether it's big or small, planning is really, really essential. Do you have any, like, um, are, are you, like, literally mapping out exactly where everything goes in your backyard? I I am, actually. Um, as, as you know, we'll cue in the listeners. We actually, my family moved into a new-to-us house in the end of July of 2022, so we've basically been watching where does the sun hit, and um, we do have some trees, shock here in Arizona, right? But we do have a little bit of shade from those, so I've been kind of mentally mapping that out and figuring out um, where is the best place for the various types of plants to go. Um, in our family, we actually hope to focus on perennials, so I have to look at what kind of sun are they getting? What kind of wind protection are they getting throughout the year? So I'm not looking at just that one growing season where like if I had some tomato plants, I just have them for that that season, right? Um, so I have been going through and plotting things out. A uh, really handy thing to do is just Lots of folks in the preparedness company have 550 cord, right? We've got paracord. Mm. Cut some lengths of paracord to the size or keep a big loop of it in one piece and just roll it around. People also use garden hoses and you can basically lay it out in the shape or the size of your garden beds and then leave it there for a day or two. Live with it. Look and see how the sun hits it. Um, where's the drainage? coming through. As, mm. as you know, Morgan, here we get uh, some pretty serious monsoon storms mm. when our wet season actually comes through in the southwest, and water is going to go somewhere. <laughs> so where do we put the plants that want to be above that, that like to have drier feet, drier roots, so to speak. And where can we put some things that want to have more of that water? They want to have maybe some saturated soil. They like to, to have wet feet. Um, the other thing that we have to take into account, and I would encourage folks, no matter how urban of an area you live in, sit for a little while and look for wildlife you might be amazed at what's going to come through and chomp on your garden. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, so we sit out in the daytime. We do have a dog, so it's a little easier to sit out with her and, you know, here come the birds or she alerts to a little squirrel or whatever. But um, I, I had a little bit of a, a travesty happen the other day. I had a strawberry plant 
It was tucked away and it was sheltered and it made a strawberry at Christmas. And my strawberry was almost ripe. I was so excited. I'm like, this is a strawberry growing outside at Christmas. (laughs) And the day before it was ready, a mouse ate it. I think you can imagine how frustrated I was. (laughs) Yeah. Uh. But these things happen, you know. I mean, maybe you're in New York City. You know you're dealing with pigeons, right? They're everywhere. Um, same thing when I lived up near Seattle, pigeons everywhere, but we Mm. also do get in these urban areas, things like coyotes, Mm -hmm. or we might get some, some mid-sized predators that are going to come through. Um, so if somebody is looking at say urban chickens, right, I know, you know, this when, when you have your chickens, you've got to make sure that not only have we planned for where are they going to be, but how are we going to keep them safe? Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that even urban chickens, you know, they're still prey for, you know, raccoons and um, hawks, and they're still prey to all these things. You know, mm-hmm. they there's tons of predators in an urban area that are ready for the either the eggs or the chickens, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's it's not just rural areas that get hit with this stuff. So, yeah, it's very important to know that. And even just the neighborhood cats and dogs. And that's the yeah. same thing when we're looking at plants, when we're looking at the garden. Um, I do have some neighbors that have outdoor cats. Mm-hmm. So I have to account for, A, my dog is not the brightest bulb, so I have to keep her out of the plants. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, she'll be chasing, you know, say that mouse comes through. So I need to protect the plants from 70 pounds a dog, but I also have to account for the fact that maybe one of the neighborhood cats is going to come through. Right. And what are they going to do? Um, so, so those are things that we're also looking at, like how can we protect the crop from big critters? How can we protect the crop from the little critters, the various bugs that are going to come through And that's another thing that I've been watching for as we make these plans. Um, I'm not just sitting down with my graph paper and going, tomatoes are going to go here and elderberries are going to go there and calling it good. I also have to think about a plan for protecting those things from just unintentional damage, but also the bugs that I've seen come through. Yeah. And then uh, in addition to, to like, um, the garden you know like everything that's like maybe supplementing the garden like you know um maybe the the garden beds as well as like fruit trees and any rainwater and any of these other things that are maybe going to be more permanent structures you know it's it's working around that as well um and trying to you know work around that and 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 with the rainwater especially it's finding a good spot that it's actually going to reach, you know, if you want to water your garden with it, it's, you know, going to reach those, uh, you know, plants and things like that, or your animals or whatever you're using the rainwater for, um, and how it's going to get to them. And there's, there's actually, if folks are interested, don't, don't get me started too much on rain catching because we've got a whole nother (laughs) podcast we could do on that. But if folks are interested in it, um, we do have some rain barrels and 
the smaller ones you actually can, heck, you can probably order them online, but you can get them from your local hardware stores usually. And some of them Mm -hmm. even have, um, they are molded so that you actually have some more planting space in the top in front oh of where the gutter spout comes down. So folks, you can plant some more herbs. You can plant <laughs> some flowers right in the top of your rain barrel. Um, <laughs> but you do, you need to account for if there's any kind, if you aren't going to use a pump, which we do not use for our rain barrel system, we specifically had to figure, okay, what is the slope of the yard? Mm. Because depending on how much, water is in your rain barrel, you're going to have more pressure or less pressure, right? Because the water wants to go somewhere. So when your rain barrel is full, you're going to get plenty of pressure. But when it starts to get lower, because you've been using that wonderful rainwater, which plants love, as opposed to our chemical, like whatever your water agency is using for cleaning water, right? Plants love rainwater. So as that gets lower, you may have to look at, okay, how do I get this bottom quarter or third of the water out of the rain barrel? Um, Do I need maybe a little hand pump or do I want to just run it into a uh, watering can, you know, and just water by hand as opposed to an irrigation system because it might not have the pressure. But you can look online if you're interested in these kind of things and find formulas. So it will give you all of that. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's a lot of considerations with rainwater as, you know, you like barely scratch the surface. But yeah, I mean, you really have to think about these things because as soon as you get that barrel in and you start getting water in it, it's going to be a pain in the butt to try to move it again because, you know, you're going to have to empty the water and then you're going to have to move it and then try to fill it again. What are you going to do with that water? You're just going to waste it. What a waste. Why would you, why were you having it before if you're just going to waste it? You know, it's like, it's a whole thing, you know, so (laughs) you really want to make sure you're planning this stuff. Now with the garden, you know, there, there might be some experience, experimentation, not might be, there will be. Absolutely. And, you know, even if you plan the perfect garden, you see the perfect spots to put everything, you might realize later on, you know what, I'm not 100% sure that this is the great place, you know, for this stuff. And, and one of the ways that I was able to, to, to experience that was through container gardening. Um, and I really got to know, like, I didn't want to, like, I, we got here and I was like, you know, I, I was doing exactly what you were doing, you know, watching my garden, um, you know, my yard and all these things about the, the sun and, and, you know, noticing the squirrels and the birds and all these other things. And I thought that I knew the perfect spots, but then when it actually hit summer, because I had not been in this house during summer, I realized lots of different things that, and I was able to actually move the containers to one, put them into shade because it was very hot or two, bring them into the sun when it was more fall and and winter to get more sun. So um, there was natural shade and natural sun in my backyard. And I was able to successfully, you know, move my um, bins around and find the best spots for the particular plants because I had those container bins. So that for that first year, you know, that we're here, that was very helpful for us because we could figure it out. But then like, you know, next year or whatever could be more permanent, you know, and, um, and, and really, you know, know from there where to go, um, with the season, you know, 
with the changes of the seasons and, and all these other things. So I know that that was really helpful for me. It is. It is. Uh, that's actually one of the things that we've been doing during uh, the fall, because in our area, you can do a three, almost four season garden, depending on what your resources are. Um, but there's there's still those things where I'm like, well, I think I want this here. And then I'll just change my mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. because sometimes you're like, it's, it's getting some sun, it's doing fine, but I'm tired of looking at it because it's blocking the view mm. or it's blocking the access. Say it's the area where you need to be able to get to, say, your water spigot or um, in our case where the dog just naturally walks out. And then if something's blocking that traffic pattern, whether it's dogs, kids, yourself, um, it's going to be a problem. Either yeah. somebody's going to get hurt, something's going to get knocked over, or whatever the case may be. So sometimes it's just a matter of it just isn't working where it is, and it just needs to be shifted afoot. Or right. like I remember when you guys had that heat wave come through, and your plants were like, help me, help me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's, it's sometimes it's things like that. The other thing that we found, um, I've been container gardening since... Oh goodness. Well, let's, let's just say almost 20 years. Um, and, and because so much of that was in a military housing situation. So you're basically a renter, right? Mm -hmm. You have to use containers, even if you're not gardening for food, you just want to garden, you know, grow some pretty flowers to look at. You can't in most places plant in the ground. Right. So if you're renting, um, take heart because container gardening might still be a wonderful way for you to grow some things, whether you're interested in edibles, whether you're interested in just some floral, like you want to be able to do flowers and floral design and have fresh flowers each week, or if you want to grow food or whatever you want to do, there's a lot of options in containers that folks don't always think about. You can even, again, going back to like we were talking about budgets and the DIY stuff, you can make your own self-watering, wicking, uh, growing systems. You can buy them. Mm -hmm. and, and it really is a great way to get started. And even in our situation as, as homeowners, you know, I still have things that are out there in planters that I will not ultimately put in garden beds mm. just because they're, they're annuals, say like referring back to the tomatoes, they're only going to last for a certain amount of time. Right. So if I have some containers set up for my tomatoes, my, my uh, sweet peppers, that kind of thing, when they're done, I pull them out. Right. And, and I can either ignore the container, let it lie fallow, so to speak, or I can put something else in and have another crop. So it gives you a lot of choices. Yeah. I remember, um, I remember the, uh, the urban prepper, he had like just a, he did like a whole big container garden. He did the, uh, companion planting in the container garden mm -hmm. and it, it actually went pretty well for him like there were a lot of you know challenges and lesson learns of course but like you know um a lot of people think that 
containers can't hold a lot. And it's true that you can overcrowd with certain crops and these kinds of things, but you can also put like a crazy amount of of um, seeds in containers as well. Like I learned that I I could have probably put a little bit more, um, you know, plants and seeds in in certain containers. But then others were like, you know what, that that was too much. But you know, you you kind of learn and and whatever. But um, but that's that's the great thing about container gardening, though, is that you get to experiment with a lot of crops and things like that, and you you know, you're not digging into the ground and you're not, you know, doing a lot of effort with, with the soil and all this other stuff in the ground. Like you, you have the container and you can move and adjust and do whatever you want with it. Um, and yeah, I just think it's a really, it's a good way for people to kind of get their feet wet in it. I think. Well, and especially also one of the things that comes to mind for me is, is, uh, the soil you mentioned, the soil itself if you haven't lived in that that area, whether you have an official backyard like I do, or you're you're dealing with, um, say, an area that is in the city, and maybe you're helping take back, say, a parking lot or something like that, you mm. don't know what was there, right? right? We kind of in in our philosophy when we're coming into these new places, these new homes, we just assume it's been sprayed with things, you know, pesticides, herbicides, whatever the case may be. We assume there's some sort of contaminant there. Um, so when you're dealing with containers, you can skirt around that, right? You can mm. you can get whatever potting soil container mix you're gonna do. And you can also tweak the needs for the plants that you're planting. If you live in an area like I do, where you're dealing with a lot of caliche, a lot of clay, um, and you're trying to plant something like carrots that wants Mm -hmm. a sandy, loose soil, I'm not going to get that in my house. I could dig for eight days and I'm not going to get that in my yard, right? Right. right. <laughs> so you have these cool options where you can be like, well, this container is for carrots, so I'm going to do this soil mix. And folks, talk to your master gardeners if you're in the U.S. Um, talk to them in your area through your local agricultural extension because they will be able to help you understand what your soil is like and they will also be able to help you understand what to do if you're mixing your own soil. Mm. So great resource for people, again, if you're just starting out. Um, but you can adjust and say, okay, maybe I'm growing blueberries. Blueberries have a very different soil preference. They need a little bit more acidic soil than, say, my tomatoes do. Or if I'm making choices like that, now with those containers that you have, you can make those adjustments. You can tweak that soil. You could add a different fertilizer if you wanted to. It's uh, It opens up a whole new world. It's really, really, right. really useful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, there are a lot of places that you can, you know, make the soil better, better and that kind of thing. But like, like you're saying, you know, and like, I've also experienced in the high desert in that area, caliche and the clay, there's no making that soil better. You know, there's yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> there just isn't. And so, yeah, you know, we got to get a little more creative um, with some things. So, so yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's, 
I think with with urban settings in general, I, I you know you can you can do what you can in your backyard. You know you can you can actually do a lot. You you can um, when it comes to growing, or even if you wanted, you know, could have chickens or quails or things like that, rabbits, um, these other little small animals that you maybe you could have. But there's also I think um, the community is is a pretty big aspect, and I say that in the sense of like um, local farmers or um, local neighbors, even that you know maybe you could get things that you can't produce. So like say you can't have the chickens or the quails or other small animals. So where could you get those those other sources that you're that you're missing you know locally, and um, that can help with our our self-sufficiency in, in the urban area as well. And like you were, you know, going back to like what you were saying of the wild edibles in your urban area, you can go out and learn and, and, and find those local weeds and things like that for those supplements and that kind of thing. So, um, the community is a whole big aspect, but. Well, and speaking of community, that's also those kind of classes and events are a great way to meet some like-minded folks. Like, I know when I was growing up, this might age me, but um, (laughs) when I was growing up, if you wanted to meet people who were at least a little bit like-minded, you joined the local neighborhood watch, right? Because, you know, here was our local police, you know, chief or whoever telling us, this is your, your police liaison, and he's telling you what to look for, or she is teaching you signs of how people are, are, watching neighborhoods or whatever but it created that sense of community and brings us into one of one of the things that we tackle in preparedness being security right if i in an urban environment ignore my neighbors i'm not connecting with anybody we're just going about our business and i have no idea who belongs in the neighborhood who's usually there um and I'm just insular, you know, I've, I've tucked mm-hmm. in in my little hermit apartment somewhere. I'm not making the most of the opportunity, A, to make some friends and, and get to know some folks, but also B, to have my ear to the ground and understand what's going on around me. Um, of course, with the technology that we have now, we have all these different apps where uh, where folks can check in with their neighbors based off of their zip code and things like that and understand what's going on. You know, was there a, a police interaction recently? Okay, well, that was on your street. What was it? What was that all about? What do I need to know about? If I know that my neighbor is going on vacation and I've interacted with them at least a little bit, I can keep an eye on the house and they can potentially return that favor because we're just being neighborly. Like we don't need to be in each other's business, right? but we know who belongs. Um, Of course, Arizona is very popular with older folks who come here because of the sun and the warmth and it's a great place to retire. So we have an older population in our neighborhood. So Christmas lights, as silly as this might sound to some folks, those of you who are young and spry, um, (laughs) When you have a neighborhood of people my age and older climbing up ladders to put up Christmas lights, we're keeping an eye out for each other, right? Right. Because it just takes one slip of a foot and now who's going to call for help for you? Well, if we're keeping an eye on each other, we've created that community. Somebody's watching. 
and and we can hopefully get them some help. We can maybe you have first aid skills and you can go assist, or maybe you just get in there and communicate with our emergency responders. But um, it creates that security, and of course, one of the things that when we're in the urban environments that we're concerned about is we have that population density. Mm-hmm. So we are more concerned about our security than maybe when we live out in those rural areas, right? I know I am. Yeah. <laughs> like when yeah. my primary neighbors were cows, I was like, oh, it's pretty quiet out here. <laughs> oh, right, right. So just knowing, <laughs> you know, knowing folks, knowing who your neighbors are, even if it's just a smile and a wave, at least you know they belong as opposed to some creeper at their door. Yeah, you know, that's a really good point. Every single place that we've lived, we've we've tried to at least acknowledge and wave and get to know like one or two. We'd like to know more, but I mean, you know, the urban societies are very um, closed off these days and that's a whole nother podcast. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, we try to get to know like as many pe- people as we can, but at least one or two people so that we can have that you know, hey, I'm going out of town. Could you watch my house kind of thing? And we've always had that. And we've never been up in anybody's business. We're just like, hey, you know, we've exchanged numbers to tell them if something is going on, you know, or something like that. And, you know, just that, that, that common, you know, sense of I'm going to watch out for you. You can watch out for me because we are living here, you know, (laughs) because we're human and we're here and, 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 you know, we can watch out for each other, even if it's something so simple as just keeping an eye on things, you know, while you're there. Not, you know, you don't have to be looking at your window with, with binoculars or anything, you know, 24-7, nothing like that. But, you know, just that that sense of, you know, camaraderie to your fellow human being of, you know, just looking out. So, yeah. Well, and how many of us during 2020 were asking the neighbors, hey, have you found any toilet paper? Oh, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, those things, those little things, like maybe it just comes down to you notice that somebody has, um, like in, in our city, backyard chickens are allowed. So yeah. maybe you notice that somebody has chickens and you've got your garden you've been pruning and you go over and go, hey, I've got these these greens. Would your chickens like them? you start building that up. And even if they are not quote preppers, so to speak, they just wanted some chickens. Right. Um, we start building, we start creating those ties. And if there is a bad situation, um, say like when our power went out the other day in a situation like that, maybe you could pop over and be like, Hey, you know, I, I have some extra flashlights. Do you need them? Or they might come to you and say, hey, you know, thanks for giving me those greens for my chickens. Um, here's some here's some eggs. I had extras. And of course, right now, what's everybody talking about? Egg prices, right? Right. You and I have had that conversation a lot lately where I'm going, yeah. Morgan, I should get chickens. But it's, it's one of those things where we, you know, it used to be, oh, you borrow a cup of sugar, right? Mm. And, and we start having that give and take. And then when there is a uh, a crisis situation, we know a little bit more who we can depend on. And we also know who needs our help or might need our help. And we, right. can, we can reach out that way. Yeah, I, I live next to um, an elderly lady who lived by herself. And, you know, she came and went. She's very independent. She could do everything. But there was one occasion... Um, she had gone grocery shopping and 
her car was parked and her trunk was just open and the groceries were still some groceries were still in there and then i i kind of just like peeked over to her front yard to her front door and i saw that the screen door was open and the door was open and i was just kind of like waiting for a minute i'm like well maybe she's just like you know getting the groceries slowly and i just waited for like a little bit but then i was like kind of got concerned like my gut was telling me i'm not sure you know everything's okay so i went over there and I just kind of, you know, gently nod, hey, I just wanted to check in. Is everything okay? And and she, like, kind of stumbled out of her a minute. She's like, oh, yes, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I just got really, really hot and overheated. And I just had to stop for a minute. I was like, oh, okay, do you, do you want me to help you with the rest of this? And she was like, no, no, I'm going to get it. It's, you know, thank you so much, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, something was wrong. She was fine, mm-hmm. you know. But um, it's just those little things, you know, like something so insignificant as a trunk being open, but you, but it's not the trunk being open. It's you, the fact that, you know, you know, this person is elderly and she is by herself and all these other factors, you know, play in and you know that, you know, that's a little off. So it's that anomaly in the situation that you're, you're paying attention to and that kind of thing. And, and, um, you know, it's nice, you know, if somebody saw that of us, I might want them to, you know, and tell us, you know, right. <laughs> hey, your, your trunk is open or whatever, you know, if we didn't know, I'd want somebody to tell us. Um, yeah. So anyway. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it was, I think it's Patrice Lewis that describes preparedness as a three-legged stool. And she says community is one of the legs. If you if you don't have, obviously, you know, you need your food, you need your garden, et cetera, et cetera. But if you don't have community, you're you're still shorted on your preparedness efforts because like I said we don't have to be besties with the neighbors they don't have to be you know kith and kin and our you know (laughs) but there are times that we we need to potentially either a just have information and it helps us with our situational awareness like oh I know that the mail carrier comes through around x time every day Mm -hmm. Um, so if I hear a noise over at the out in front of my house if it's at a certain time then I know it's probably the mail carrier right right right. but if it's two hours earlier or five hours later then I know I need to go check it out right you know just take a look and see what's going on in front of my house maybe it's just somebody visiting another neighbor no big deal but maybe it's something that I need to take a little bit more action on so yeah. it helps a lot with our situational awareness, but also having that support network in place. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I uh, we're coming up on the hour here, and I just wanted to thank you so much for for our discussion of. Uh, I want. I think I'm going to title the self sufficiency in in an urban setting. I think I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we kind of got away from backyard gardening, but. <laughs> Well, that's good. That's great. You know, I think that this was, this is a much needed subject. You know, I think people, you know, there's a lot of people live in the urban areas and if we could help offer, you know, different ideas and things like that to at least get them expanding and to think about their own situation and how they can deal with it, you know, no matter where they are, what they're doing to help supplement and be prepared as best as they possibly can is going to, you know, it can't hurt, right? It certainly can't. Well, thank you so much for being here again. Thanks for the awesome conversation as usual. Uh, let's see, we can find you on LinkedIn and Instagram, but instead of rattling off um, num- or letters, <laughs> um, I'm going to go ahead and put them down below in the description. But um, 
Melanie K on LinkedIn. And then uh, the Cor- Corvidian Solutions on Instagram. Is that one good? Yes. Yes. Perfect. Okay. We'll definitely go check her out. She's got uh, a lot of good stuff and possibly coming back this fall for another thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah we'll, we'll see how that works out. If it pans out, everybody in your listening group will be the first to know. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh exclusive. <laughs> VIP teaser. (laughs) Months down the line. Don't forget. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me on, Morgan. I appreciate it. And maybe we'll do a rain barrel thing sometime. We'll talk some some water catchment. (laughs) Mm, I love rain collection talk. I could go on and on about it. So, yes, absolutely. And thank you all so much for listening. You're amazing. Uh, you can always find me, of course, at ropepreparedness.com or YouTube or Instagram. I think that's it. I think I always forget something. But anyway, just type in rope preparedness in the old search engine, whatever one you prefer, and I'll pop up. Thank you all so much for listening again. Conquer tomorrow, right preparing today, and I'll talk to you later. Bye.